was thinking as we were singing that last song, as we're reading through Exodus 32 through 34 and seeing uh, Israel's rebellion against the Lord after they've experienced his, his goodness and deliverance from Egypt and slavery and how he has sustained them and kept them even through all their, their grumbling and complaining in the wilderness so far in their short journey. And now as they're at Sinai and uh, they're, they're seeing the glory of the Lord and experiencing the glory of the Lord and they rebel and sin against him. Yet through all of that, they are seeing and witnessing the Lord holding them fast. And if Israel could be assured that the Lord would hold them fast through all of that, how much more can we be assured if we have been purchased by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, that he will hold us fast through all of our cold indifference to his glory and holiness. So what assurance we have. I want to just say a quick thanks to all the musicians, the singers, Andy and the team, and, and also Nehi, and I think it's Joshua today. Everybody who, who's up here uh, just week in and week out serving the Lord as they lead us and guide us through worship and song, whether they're up on stage or in the back, they, they help us to come and worship the Lord. And our hearts are encouraged and taught as we sing through these wonderful songs. To, so up on stage or in the back, just praise the Lord for those people. But also, so I would encourage you to do two things. One, as you see those people, express your gratitude and thanks. Uh, just show them great honor and encouragement for what they do week in and week out uh, as they come and serve the body here. But also, I would encourage you that as you come and as we are about to sing, pray for everyone who comes up on this stage. Pray for God's protection over them. It's very difficult to be up on this stage and not be tempted by our flesh to make this about us. Uh, and so we want to pray for God's protection over for everyone who comes up here that they would come desiring above all else just to give more of Christ uh, to his people. So express your thanks and pray for God's protection over them as they lead us and guide us in worship and song or prayer or, or in the word, whatever it may be. Uh, so today we are in Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 29 through 35. We are bringing to conclusion uh, chapters 32 through 34, the section of the golden calf where Israel uh, has rebelled against the Lord. Uh, they grow weary and tired of waiting on this man, Moses, who's been up on this mountain for this great length of time. And they just, they don't know where he is. What, what's going on? And what's the Lord doing? I thought we're supposed to be going to the promised land, but we're stuck at this mountain. So Aaron, why don't you make for us a golden calf and we'll worship it? And so Aaron takes gold and, and jewelry of all the people and, and, and they, he makes a golden calf. And Israel rebels against the Lord as they worship and, uh, and they bow down before it. And so in their great rebellion, we see in, in this episode that the Lord, his anger is justly against his people for how they have sinned against him, how they've already broken, broken in a way you could say the first three commandments of the Ten Commandments that the Lord has given to his people. They've already rebelled against the word that he's just given to them. And so his anger justly burns against the people. But we see, uh, what we see and experience in chapter 34 is the Lord's grace, his goodness, his mercy to his people, the forgiveness that he shows them. And that's possible because of what we see in the middle sections there in 33 and then in the beginning of 34. It's possible because the Lord has given to his people a faithful mediator, a faithful intercessor in the person of Moses. And Moses comes and he faithfully pleads and prays on behalf of the people to the Lord. 
And then what really is the foundation for this entire passage, and we could say the foundation for our faith in Scripture, is what the Lord reveals to his people at the beginning of chapter 34. So if you'll remember, at the end of 33, Moses prays to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says to him, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And so then in 34, when that happens, as the goodness, the glorious goodness of the Lord passes before Moses, what that looks like is what Moses hears. And so the Lord passes before him and proclaims the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, thousands of generations. But for the guilty, for those who are in their iniquity, he will visit, visit that upon the, uh, the, the iniquity of the fathers to the children, to the third and fourth generation. And so we see that glorious character, the glorious goodness of the Lord revealed. That is the foundation for this passage. That is the foundation for Israel as they move forward. That is the foundation for God's people. So as we bring uh, this section to a conclusion today in 29 through 35, what we want to contemplate is this. As Moses is seeing and hearing of the glorious goodness of the Lord, as the Lord causes his glorious goodness to pass by him, what effect will that have on Moses? What effect will that have on Moses? What, what's, he, what's his life going to now look like? What's, is he going to do something to his face? What's all that about? What effect will that have on Moses? We also want to consider, as it has an effect on Moses, what effect will that have on the people who now witness that and who now see that difference in Moses? And what I think we also want to consider is, is a question that I've been wrestling with throughout this week is, don't we all just want to be more radiant, God-glorifying Christians? Don't we want to be people who live for the glory of God in all that we do? Yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we would not describe ourselves to be radiant, God-glorifying people so often. Why is that? And then maybe we can ask ourselves, all right, if we have this longing, this desire, and if we see these weaknesses within ourselves, how is it that we can be people who truly become more radiant, more God-glorifying more God believers in our own lives? So we want to consider those questions today. I'll just let you in on my prayer. In, Ezek, uh, in Exodus 33, 17 and 18, Moses says this. He says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your glory. And so right up front, if we could say this, if we could say this up front and then as we close today, Lord God, if we have found favor in your sight, not because of anything in ourselves, but because of everything that's in Christ Jesus, if we have found favor in your sight because of what Jesus has done and accomplished for, our, for us, please show us your glory. So let's read Exodus 29, or I'm sorry, Exodus 34, 29 through 35, and then we'll pray. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. 
Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. Let's pray. Most holy God, we thank you for uh, the gracious gift of your word, that in your goodness and your mercy you would speak to your people, you would reveal yourself to your people that we would come to know you, where apart from your revelation to us, there is no way for us to know you and who you are, to know your character, to know who you are to your people, to know what is righteous, to know what is sin, to know what justly deserves your condemnation and judgment, and to know what live or how to live in a way that is pleasing in your sight. So we thank you for the gracious gift of your word. We pray as we uh, do give ourselves over to your word today in Exodus 34 and other passages that we'll look at, that your Holy Spirit would lead and guide us, opening the eyes of our hearts that we might truly see your glory and behold it today together. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we work through the passage, I'd like us to consider three points as we begin to uh, to look at the effect that uh, God's glorious goodness has on Moses, the effect that it's going to have on the people, and then how it is that we can become more radiant people ourselves, I'd love us to consider three points. Number one, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Teenagers, don't take that and apply that to your lives wholeheartedly. Uh, number one, ignorance is bliss. Number two, the glory of the Lord is frightfully good. The glory of the Lord is frightfully good. And number three, the fading glory of the old covenant and its mediator looks forward to the unfading glory of the new covenant and its mediator. So number one, ignorance is bliss. If you notice in verse 29, one of the, the more interesting aspects of the passage is that as Moses comes down the mountain, and we, if we're familiar with the story and even as we read through it, and we have the details that his face is shining, What's interesting about the story in this passage is that Moses is unaware that his face is shining. He is unaware of it as he comes down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, that his face was shining. That word there for shown or shining that shows up a few times in the passage, uh, it's an interesting word. It can actually be translated as horns. And so in the old Latin translations of the Bible, they would translate that as horns. And then in medieval pictures of Moses, they would draw Moses with horns coming out of his head. So obviously that's metaphorical language that's being used to just describe that Moses' face is radiant. It's not simply that he has this glow about him or something like that, but that his face is radiant as if there are rays coming off his face from his time with the Lord. So Moses, who is more radiant in this moment than any man has ever been since pre-sin Adam, is blissfully ignorant to the fact that his face is radiant as he comes down the mountain. You just got to think, what would you do if you were to discover that your face was shining after a time of deep communion with the Lord? Maybe, maybe you, you leave your, your time of, of drinking some coffee in the morning, and you leave your time in the Word and prayer, and all of a sudden, you know, your spouse or a family member, or you, you stumble upon a mirror, and you see that your face is radiant. What do you do in that moment? 
Maybe you run to the mirror and you just stand there for hours and hours, like, when is this going to go away? Like, I hope it never does. Or you grab your phone, selfie mode. You call up your friends or you hop on social media to influence the masses to say, look at what has happened as a result of my time with the Lord. Look how radiant I am. Yet Moses is completely unaware of the radiance of his face. So I think part of the problem for why we are not more radiant, why we are not more God-glorifying in our lives, is because we are not like Moses in this passage. We are so often completely self-obsessed and self-centered. There's no way we would ever, ever not notice that our faces were radiant because we can be people who are just so consumed with how we look, with how others perceive us, with how we're coming across, with how others respect us or don't respect us or affirm us or don't affirm us. So much of our lives is lived for our own appearance and how we are presenting ourselves. It is not on Moses' radar at all. Not on his radar at all. Moses, so how is it that Moses is so blissfully ignorant to this fact? I think the reason why he is ignorant to the fact that his face is shining is because of what has made his face to be shining. It's what he's been doing. Moses has been talking with the Lord. Moses has been seeing and experienced the glorious goodness of the Lord as he passes by him and proclaims gloriously who he is to Moses. Moses is experienced and, in been, and been enjoying a time of deep communion with the Lord. And so Moses comes down the mountain not thinking of himself. All he's thinking about is the gloriously good God that he's just spending time with in deep communion. All he's concerned about is bringing the word of the Lord to the people. All he's concerned with is coming and bringing the glory of God to the people who so desperately need it. So how is it then that we can become people who are more radiant, more God-glorifying, through our time of communion with the Lord and experience his goodness. And this is actually really good news for us. It means that you don't have to look a certain way or dress a certain way or be able to speak and articulate and defend the faith. You don't have to get up on the stage and speak to people to be a radiant, God-glorifying Christian. It's not about what you look like. It's not about your talents and your abilities and your skills. So think about the most radiant people in your life. Think about the people who have had the deepest impact on your faith. The people that when you talk with them, when you listen to them, when you hear them pray, when you hear them open up God's word, who are the people who have left the most lasting impact on your life? I guarantee you they are the people who have so little concern with themselves because they are people who are so consumed with the Lord. And so we think, what about, what about my struggles? What about the worries, the anxieties that I have? What about the ways in which I doubt or I wrestle with in my faith? What about the ways in which I, I don't know certain things? I don't have certain answers to certain questions. 
And what, do, what are we doing in those moments as we're focused on ourselves? We're, we're focused on ourselves. So how is it that we come to be people who are more radiant and more God-glorifying in our lives? We have to be people who are just like Moses and just like the people who have had the greatest impact on our lives. We have to be people who wholeheartedly give ourselves over to the Lord in His Word. Have to be people who come to Him in prayer, desperately pleading that, Lord God, would you open up my eyes that I may behold wondrous things in your Word. And the most wondrous thing that I can behold in your Word is you yourself. So that as I come away from your word, I am living in a way, all I'm concerned about is living in a way that glorifies the Lord. But so often we come away from those times consumed with ourselves, people who are self-obsessed. Look over in Psalm 34. I'll, I'll read this real quick. So if you want to turn there, you can just to see it. But if not, that's okay. Psalm 34, verse 4 says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and, de who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Go down a few verses, verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears him, hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Radiant Christians are not superheroes. The most God-glorifying Christians are not superhero Christians. They are just ordinary, faithful people who have communed deeply with the Lord. They're the people who have experienced the Lord's goodness if they have, as they have lost a loved one. They are people who have tasted and seen the Lord's goodness in the midst of struggling with sin for years and years, but coming to experience the glory and the victory of the Lord that's found in Jesus Christ. They are people who have wrestled with anxieties and insecurities, never feeling comfortable in their own skin, yet have come to see that the Lord is so gloriously good, I don't have to be focused on myself, but I can just set my gaze on Him because those who look to the Lord are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Not superheroes, they're just ordinary, faithful people. They're people who have fears. They're people who are crushed in spirit. They're people who are brokenhearted. Yet they have come to experience the glorious goodness of the Lord. You want proof of this? As if we need proof of this? More proof that the people who are, even though they are, they're crushed, they're brokenhearted, they're, they experience suffering and trials, yet they are truly radiant and truly God-glorifying, God look at Jesus. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, in John chapter 12, prays to the Father, Lord, glorify your Son that I might glorify you. And the Father answers, I will glorify you. Where does the Son most glorify the Father? As he goes to the cross for his people. As he suffers. As he is put in this mockery of a trial. As he is beaten. As he is tortured. 
is he carries our own afflictions and sorrows and griefs. The place where the Son of God most glorifies the Father is as he suffers and ultimately lays down his life for his people. So, are you struggling? Do you struggle? Do you carry sorrow and affliction? Do you feel like you're barely hanging on? Do you think there's no way I'm ever, ever a type of radiant and God-glorifying Christian like the type of believers we see in the scriptures? Be comforted. It has nothing to do with yourself, but everything to do with the God that you look to. So let us look increasingly to the Lord, setting our eyes on Jesus. It's because those who look to him, they are the ones who are radiant, whose faces will never, ever be ashamed. Number two, the glory of God is frightfully good. The glory of God is frightfully good. So Moses, after enjoying this communion with the Lord and talking with the Lord and hearing his word proclaimed over him, he comes down radiantly shining. And in verse 30, we see what the result of this is, what the effect this has on the people. It says this in verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near them, to come near him. What's the effect of this? That the people are afraid to come near. So why is it that Moses' face is shining? It's because the glorious goodness of the Lord has passed by him, and, as he, and he has experienced it as he hears the word of the Lord proclaimed over him. Moses now comes down the mountain, glorious re, gloriously reflecting the glory of God to the people. And as Moses gloriously reflects the glory of God to the people, what's the effect that it has on the people? The people are afraid, and they don't want to come near him. In Exodus chapter 19, when the Israelites are brought to Mount Sinai, the glory of the Lord descends upon the mountain. The mountain shakes, it trembles. There's thick cloud and darkness and thunder and lightning, and there's, there's fire and smoke on the mountain. And when the Lord speaks, it sounds like the trumpets are blasting. And the people don't even want to come out of their tents because they are afraid they are afraid at the sight of the glory of the Lord and the effect that it has upon creation. And they don't want to come near. They don't want to hear, Moses, Moses, you talk to the Lord. It is, it's good if we just stay back. We'll hear from you. It's, it's good if we stay on back. How long did that last? Not too long. And so the people's hearts grow cold and dull to the glory of the Lord. Moses is gone for just a little too long for their comfort. We need a God to worship. We don't know what the deal is with this Lord, this God that brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what the deal is with this Moses who brought us out. We need a golden calf. They've experienced the glory of the Lord. Like, could you just imagine the scene at Sinai? And here these people are, bowing down before a golden calf. Here comes the Lord in his grace and in his goodness and in his mercy, not giving the people what they deserve. He doesn't give them the judgment and the condemnation that they deserve, but rather 
Rather, he invites Moses to come on up and once again experience his glory. So that then as he goes down the mountain and gives them the word of the Lord, what do the people experience as they see Moses? Once again, they experience the glory of the Lord. This is God being abundantly gracious, just as he says he was at the beginning of Exodus 34. He is once again giving them sight of his own glory as Moses reflects the glory of the Lord to the people. The issue, though, is that the people are afraid. They don't want to come near. So how is it that God's, how can God's glory be a good thing if it's a frightful thing, if people are too afraid to come near? The Bible presents two types of fear that we see in Scripture. There's a type of fear that sinners have, a worldly type of fear, and there's a biblical righteous fear. In the worldly type of fear, we see that sinners who are living in rebellion to the Lord and don't want to draw near Him, as they fear the Lord or as they experience the glory of the Lord, they would, ra- they would cry out. They would want the rocks to fall upon us rather than having to behold the glory of the Lord. There's a worldly type of fear that fears God and wants to go away from Him. It wants nothing to do with Him. But then there's a righteous type of fear that can be characterized as a type of rejoicing and trembling at the sight of God. It's a righteous type of fear that sees God's glory and experiences his glory and beholds it and rejoices at the sight of it, but trembles at the magnitude of it. It's a righteous type of fear that rather than wanting to take us away from the Lord, it, wa- it brings us, it wants us to draw near to the Lord. It motivates us to come near to Him, to draw near to Him, even as we are rejoicing and coming near, rejoicing and trembling before Him. We see this in Psalm chapter 19, verse 9. So in Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So how is it if God's glory is a frightful thing, how is it that it's a good thing? It's because the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Meaning that as we have this righteous type of fear growing within us that wants us to come near to the Lord, that rejoices at the sight of the Lord but trembles at the magnitude of the Lord, it motivates us and compels us to live a life that is clean and pure and holy before Him. The, the, the frightful glory of the Lord is a good thing because it ought to purify us. It ought, it ought to cause within us this desire to walk in righteousness and a desire to do away with sin at the sight of just how holy he is. Isn't that exactly what the people of Israel need? In Exodus 19, they behold the glory of the Lord and they're, they're fearful to draw near. Yet by the time Exodus 24 rolls around, they've heard the Ten Commandments, they've heard the covenant of the Lord, and they come and they feast before the Lord and they enjoy communion with him and things are good. But then sin, because they don't have a right fear of the Lord. When there's a right fear of the Lord, it ought to produce in God's people's desires for righteousness, desire for holiness. And that's exactly what the people need in this passage. Think about this. We, we can think how it's, it's good for us to be, uh, in a way, rejoicing and trembling before the Lord. 
we understand maybe something of this injustice. Like when we contemplate or meditate upon God's justice, we understand how that could be a fearful thing. To, to see and behold God executing justice. We understand how that's a fearful, terrifying thing. But then First John talks about how for God's people, though, we don't, uh, perfect love casts out fear. Because that fear is a fear of punishment. So we don't have a fear of God that he would punish us because of what Jesus has done for us, but we also, also the fear of the Lord endures forever, though. We need that right fear within us. So think about this. Maybe you just contemplate a different attribute or characteristic of the Lord. Could you imagine what it would be like for God's glorious love to be presented to us, unveiled? God, infinite and perfect in love. If that were just to come down upon us, rejoicing and trembling, right? That, that, would, that would provoke a righteous fear. Maybe we get a, a, a type of way of thinking about this in the ocean. Every time I go to the ocean, um, some of you like to get in the ocean, some of you don't. All right, I like to get in it, I enjoy it. When I, when I see it, though, I'm always amazed at the bigness of it. And I think to myself, it would take such a small fraction of that to wipe me out completely and end me in one second. Just a small fraction of it. We think about just the little bits of even God's love that we have experienced and we're an ocean of his love, but a God who's infinite in love, so more than, more than the waters are of the oceans, right? To think if that were presented to us, what would that provoke within us? It would provoke fear, a righteous fear that wants to draw near and rejoices that we are able to, but that would be trembling all at the same time at the magnitude of the infinitude of just how big God is and how glorious he is. So the glory of God is a frightfully good thing because it ought to produce in his people righteousness. And that's exactly what Israel needs. Notice in 30 and 31, who is it really emphasizing here? Aaron. We get two mentions of Aaron. Aaron is supposed to be the priest that's leading the people in right worship to the Lord. Moses is up on the, Lord, uh, up on the mountain receiving the commandments and the word of the Lord. Aaron is supposed to be down below leading the people and guiding them in righteousness. But Aaron's been down below accidentally making a golden calf for the people to worship. Aaron is afraid to draw near. And all of Israel like him. They are afraid to draw near at the sight of Moses as Moses reflects the glory of the Lord. But what does Moses do? In verse 31, Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Moses' face continues to be radiant throughout this process. As he speaks with the people, his face is radiant. And because of Moses' call to the people, the people who were once afraid and far off are now not afraid and are able to come near and hear the word of the Lord and experience God's glory as it's being reflected in the person of Moses. 
And what we pray, what Israel would pray, what Moses would certainly desire is that that would produce in his people, Israel, righteousness. But here's the problem with Exodus 34 and our problem as well. We know this, as you keep on reading, as you keep reading the Old Testament, just like a few chapters ago in 19, and just like what's going to happen here, what's Israel eventually going to walk right into again? Sin, rebellion, grumbling, complaining, idolatry, breaking the commandments and word of the Lord. We grow cold and dull towards the glory of the Lord. We experience it and we behold it. And the next moment we are pursuing and running and chasing after sin. So what hope do we have of drawing near? What hope does Israel have? We have something better than what Israel had. And we have someone better calling us near. So number three. The fading glory of the old covenant and its mediator looks forward to the unfading glory of the new covenant and its mediator. Notice the pattern of what happens in 33 through 35. So the people were afraid to draw near, but because Moses calls out to them, they come near and they hear the word of the Lord. And Moses does all of that, not veiling his face to make the people more comfortable because that's not what they need. But after he speaks the word of the Lord to the people, that is when Moses puts a veil over his face. Verse 34 and 35, we see that when Moses goes back up, the, up to the mountain, he removes the veil. And his face becomes radiant and shining once again. And he goes down radiant and shining and he speaks with the people. And after he is done speaking with the people, then he puts the veil back over his face. What on earth is going on? <laughs> Why is he putting the veil on after he is done speaking to them? And this is where the New Testament helps us. So let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look in 7 through 13. Lord willing, tonight we'll spend some more time in this chapter. Uh, but this chapter is extremely dense. So we're going to uh, take a few of these verses that help us interpret Exodus 34 uh, and apply them today. So let's look in 7 through 13. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face... Because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness much, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory... Much more will what is permanent have glory. 
Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So in this section that Jonathan read uh, earlier in its entirety, Moses, or I'm sorry, Paul is comparing the two covenants, the old and the new covenant. The old covenant being the covenant that was written on tablets of stone, but the new covenant being the covenant of the Spirit that's written on human hearts. And he's comparing and contrasting them and showing that the old covenant, while having glory, is nothing compared to the glory of the new covenant. And the glory of the new covenant is so great, in fact, that the glory of the old covenant is, was fading away and has been brought to an end because of the glory that surpasses it that's found in the new covenant, the covenant of the Spirit, of the work of Jesus Christ and the Spirit in our lives. So why the veil? Why was Moses putting on the veil in Exodus? It's because Moses, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, Moses doesn't want the people to see that the glory is fading and being brought to an end. In the old covenant, we would say, surely had glory. Why? Well, the, the old covenant is still, is still God's revelation to his people. The old covenant is still God revealing himself to his people. Revealing what is good and pleasing to him and revealing what is not pleasing to him Revealing to his people what it means to live a life that is good and holy But also showing what it looks like to to walk in a way that leads to death So the old covenant was full of glory But it was being brought to an end it was fading and paul calls this old covenant He calls this glory in verse 9 For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, while there was glory in the old covenant for what it revealed to God's people and how God revealed himself to his people, it was ultimately a covenant that condemned. Because the law cannot save. The old covenant could not take spiritually dead people in their sins and make them alive. The old covenant could do nothing to permanently do away with sin. The old covenant was always given to look forward to something greater. The old covenant is given to show us that we need something greater. That there is no salvation that we can find within ourselves and through the things that we can do. But we have to look outside of ourselves to someone who can bring salvation. So the fading glory of the old covenant looks forward to the unfading glory of the new covenant and what do we see in the new covenant the new covenant in the new covenant god promises to take those who are dead in their sin and make them alive in righteousness it takes sinners who have fallen short of god's glory and that's everyone And for those who are in Christ Jesus, according to verse 18, it's going to take those people who have fallen short of God's glory, and it's going to transform them from one degree of glory to another. As the Spirit sanctifies His people, causing His people to look more and more like the glorious Son, Jesus Christ. One day when we see Jesus, according to 1 John and 1 John 3, when we see Jesus, this work will be brought to its completion because as we see him, we will be like him. 
So as we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, it will be completed. The work will be done. What the Spirit started in us, he will finish in us. We will look like Jesus. How is all of that possible? All of that is possible because of the better mediator that we have in the new covenant. Moses, Moses is a faithful reflection of God's glory comes down the mountain not concerned with self he comes down the mountain ready to give the people god's word and he faithfully does so moses is a faithful reflection of god's glory the mediator of the new covenant is no reflection jesus is the fullness of god in human flesh he is the glory of God in bodily form. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is no reflection. He is the glory of God. We have all of these promises and can be assured of it all in the new covenant because of the mediator that we have in the new covenant. The glory of the new covenant is unfading because the glory of its mediator is unfading. Moses' face is continually fading. Jesus' face will never fade. Jesus saves his people to the uttermost. The old covenant could not save God's people to the uttermost. Jesus, in submitting himself to the law and all of its commands, coming and living as a man, perfectly lives a righteous life, earning and deserving all of God's covenant blessings. But as we see in Galatians that we've been working through in Sunday school, Jesus, who perfectly earned all of God's blessings, takes upon himself all of the curses of the law so that we, who could not get ourselves to the Lord, fully deserving of judgment and condemnation because of our sin, so that we could enjoy all the blessings that he has earned, so that we could be brought from death to life. That is open and available to all who would call upon the name of Jesus. If you do not know the Lord, there is true, unfading salvation in Jesus and in what he does for his people. That's why the glory of the new covenant is a glory that's unfading because of the glory of its mediator that is the substance of the new covenant, Jesus Christ. In verse 18 that I referenced there from chapter 3 is we in this new covenant are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. How is it that how is that possible? How is it that we are coming to look more and more like Jesus' son? Look down in chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. This happens as the Spirit sanctifies his people. And how does he do that? Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As we come to God's word, his revelation of himself 
to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we come to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus. In the face of Jesus. How is it, how is it that we, you can go look in the mirror later, right? The spiritual mirror, not the physical one. Think about the weaknesses that we so often find in ourselves. Like, I'm, I'm Exodus 32 and worse. I am so cold to the Lord and His glory. I see and taste and experience His goodness so often, yet grow so dull, so distracted by the things of this world, so self-centered. I can have times of deep communion with the Lord only to go then, and instead of being a God-glorifying Christian radiant, I just go and focus on self. I spent my time with the Lord. I'm good now. It's me time. That, that is our issue. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, as we come to him and behold him in his word, we can trust the Spirit's work in our lives that, that as we come to see Jesus more and more clearly, we will be made to be more like him so that we, with unveiled faces, shine forth the glory of the Lord. No matter how mixed up we are, no matter how prone to wander we are, no matter how much we struggle with sin, the more and more that we look to Jesus Christ and set our eyes on him, the more he will make us to be like him. How is it that we can become more radiant, God-glorifying believers? It's by doing the very simple and ordinary thing of giving ourselves over to God in his word and praying that the spirit would open up our eyes to behold him more and more and more so lord god if we have found favor in your sight through the work of jesus christ would you please show us your glory may that be our prayer that we would behold his glory more and more so that we would be made to be more like him to know him to enjoy him and be people who truly go out and live in a way that's glorifying to him in all things Let's pray. Most holy God, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy, While we were far off, fully deserving your judgment and your condemnation because of our sin, you sent your Son to come near to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that as the Good Shepherd, you, co you come and you call your sheep to yourself so that we who were far off could be brought near so that we who were lost and dead in our trespasses and sins could be made alive that we who were who in darkness could be brought into your glorious light Lord God would you forgive us 
for the ways in which we have tasted and seen of your goodness and the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ, yet so often turn to sin and to the world, would you forgive us for our sin, for the way in which we have gone astray, for the ways in which we are so prone to wander? Would you forgive us for affections that are so cold, so distracted, so dull, Lord God? We pray, Lord God, that through the work of your Holy Spirit within us, you would give us increasing delight and joy and desire and longing and yearning for more of you. Desires that we might see and behold more of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you would come and lay down your life for those who were once your enemies, for those fully deserving of wrath, that you would, in your grace and in your mercy, take that judgment and condemnation upon yourself, condemning the sin and the flesh so that we could hear from God the Father. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the glory of the new covenant that is unfading. We thank you for the promises that are in it that you will bring to completion. That for those who are your own, the good work that you have started in them, you will bring to completion. That you will transform us from one degree of glory to another, causing us to look more like Jesus, your son. And we pray, Lord God, that as we experience that sanctifying work of your spirit within our lives, that you would give us grace to give our lives over to you in your word and in prayer, and that we would be people who commune deeply with you, people who come before you praying, Lord God, if we have found favor in your sight because of Jesus, your son, would you please show us your glory? Your glory is what we all desperately need to see and behold, and we pray that you would open up our eyes more and more to see it so that we would be people, both as individuals, but as a church body, who live for your glory in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.